eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Nelson, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast for a Tuesday. It's a mailbag edition of the program. We've got other stuff to get to. Uh, Texans are done playing football for the season, but that does not mean we are devoid of Texans news. Plenty to dig into um, with the uh, with some Texans news, both coaching and on the awards front. And also we'll have uh, news and notes, general news and notes from John McClain. Welcome in. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast of Sports Radio 610, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on mornings, and joined, as always, by the aforementioned Hall of Famer and our senior columnist for SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, how we doing? How we doing right. in the aftermath of no more football for the Texans? Uh, doing a lot of columns. Did the first one on uh, Stroud and Will Anderson Jr. We'll have one Wednesday on the biggest thing they need to fix, the running game. And I'm going to have one Friday looking at free agency and uh, the draft. Yeah. Um, a lot of exit interviews yesterday. I thought um, if exit interviews can get you kind of fired up for the offseason and next year, I thought yesterday was successful. I was listening to C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson speak to the media, Will in particular. I'm already fired up for training camp next year, John, listening to those guys. They're very talk. passionate about it. Yeah. Can you imagine this time last year, Texans didn't have head coach, didn't have quarterback, didn't have an edge rusher. Their two biggest needs. No coordinator and play caller. It is amazing how far they came so fast, which bodes very well for next year when they're going to play a much tougher schedule, but they should be much tougher too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, and they should be – some reinforcements in the draft and in free agency and so forth, absolutely. Um, a lot of the hard games are at home next year too, I would point out. They've got some tough road games, but a lot of the really tough games are at home. John, this time a year ago, Damian Pierce was the face of the franchise. Like that's how, which that, you know, they, they put out their, their graphic to encourage people to buy season tickets and, you know, they had seven players sort of lined up in a kind of a triangle formation there with, you know, the main, where they always put the main guy up front. That was Damian Pierce a year ago, John. Damian Pierce had zero touches against Baltimore, played zero offensive snaps in a 34 to 10 blowout loss in the playoffs. That's it's amazing how much has changed in a year with this team. 
It is. Scheme changed. He never fit. Be interesting to see if they bring him back. And uh, But it wouldn't surprise me either way because I keep going back to the story I read about Derrick Henry after the season when he said his biggest regret with the Titans was not being able to figure out the zone running scheme quicker because once he did, he was great, but he struggled the first year. So I'm not saying that Damian Pierce is going to be Derrick Henry, but I'm saying that can a year in that system help him figure it out? Plus, some linemen got to figure it out too because they were terrible running the ball. Yeah, they, they plenty, plenty of plenty of work to do in the offseason. All right, John, let's get into a, a few of the news items with the Texans. Let's start with the coaching, the coaching staff. That's another new thing that the Texans have that they haven't had in years. Other teams interested in some of their assistant coaches. <laughs> Been a while. Um, Bobby Slowick has had Zoom interviews with a handful of teams. He's reportedly getting second interviews this week with Washington and Atlanta. John, what's your concern level right now? I think you're like me or would like Bobby Slowick to stick around for another year, some continuity on the staff. Um, what's your concern level of Slowick leaving just based on the interview activity going on right now? I saw a lot of people being brought back to both of those teams with second interviews. And I don't think Bobby Sloak's ready. I think he did a great job as a coordinator, but the running game was terrible. It was, he oversaw the running game. He had some interesting play calls. I just think he needs another season because when he's a head coach, he's going to be calling plays. I don't think he's done a good enough job to call plays to undergo the scrutiny of doing it when you're a head coach. Yeah, and I think too, John, like this, I know this cycle, There's there were more firings than last year, but three of the jobs are already filled. Like three of the jobs, two, two of them got filled without even going outside the organization. Uh, the Patriots promoting Gerard Mayo and Antonio Pierce getting the interim tag taken off with the Raiders. We saw the Titans hire Brian Callahan. That's a big threat, I think, neutralized as far as taking Slowick away. They had a San Francisco Heritage General Manager have one there and ran Carthon. And, and also, you know, you can't discount the opportunity for the Titans to stick it to the Texans as well. Um, so that's filled with Brian Callahan. I think the big difference this time around compared to previous years, this time around you have Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, maybe even Pete Carroll lurking as possible head coaching hires. Like I, as good a year as Slowick has had and as big a candidate as he's been on a lot of the odds boards where you see him among the top two or three candidates in the betting market for a lot of these jobs, the game of musical chairs could fill up pretty quickly here, given all the, the actual experienced head coaches that are out there in the marketplace. Look at a guy like Detroit's Ben Johnson. He interviewed here last year. He said, I need more experience. So he went back. He had 2,000-yard rushers. They threw the ball great. Really balanced offense. Did the Texans have balance? No. Hmm. And so I don't know how you would sell Bobby at this point when they were so poor running the football, even though they were a humongous surprise. And I think he'll be back, and then I think he'll be gone in another year. And uh, then the key is, does Gerard Johnson stay and probably be promoted to offensive coordinator and play caller next year? Or does he take one of these situations, if indeed he's offered? Uh, and we should mention that Gerard Johnson reportedly has been requested uh, permission. Uh, the two teams have requested permission to speak to him, Cleveland and New Orleans, for their vacant OC jobs. So either uh, possibly Derek Carr 
or Deshaun Watson working with Gerard Johnson if he were to get one of those jobs? Now, if he were to go to New Orleans, he'd call the plays. But you're working with Carr, with a, with a coach who's going to be, I think, will be fired in a year, Dennis Allen. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Cleveland, you're not calling plays. Kevin Stefanski yeah. calls the plays. And another candidate in Cleveland is Tim Kelly, who worked with Deshaun Watson every year he was here, has a good relationship with him. So I think it's good for guys to interview go through the process that makes them better and more confident when they do it again. But I'm guessing both of those guys are going to stay knowing they got a really good thing in a year from now, they could both get what they want. And coaches over there think that Gerard has the, the traits of a possible NFL head coach. Not now. There's no Josh McCown, but for be promoted, this is his first year's quarterback coach. He was yeah. assistant quarterback coach before. And so give him two years, then let him be a coordinator. And then you'll get uh, – with Stroud, you got to figure as long as he's healthy that uh, they're going to be really good on offense. And so I would hitch my wagon to C.J. Stroud way before I would do it with Derek Carr. Oh, without question. And the Texans are going to be an actual good football team, too. You got a chance to maybe make a deep playoff run and go to a Super Bowl um, as well. John, of the five openings that remain, which one do you feel? Do you still feel like the Chargers is the best one, just given the fact that they've got their franchise quarterback in place? Absolutely. They got some receivers and offensive linemen. And uh, Brandon Staley was one of those guys. They took him after one year as a coordinator. He wasn't ready. It backfired. I no. wonder in retrospect if he thought he'd gone back and got some more experience, it would have helped him. And uh, plus, D'Amico, you know, he's a coordinator only two years, but he has a really good staff. And I'll tell you something else. Watching Todd Balls blow the clock, watching Dan Campbell blow the clock, some of these clock management issues that experienced head coaches have, I can't tell you one time when I thought D'Amico Ryans blew the clock as a rookie head coach. And so, anyway, I think Harbaugh would be – he's got plenty of experience. If he doesn't get a job now, and we don't know that he's being offered, they may not like him. They may not want to give up control. They may not want to put up with his quirks and idiosyncrasies. And he might be better off going back to Michigan and just resigning himself. I'm going to be here till I retire. But he's got that hunger to try to win a Super Bowl since he went to one with the Niners. And if he's going to do it, he better take team that's already got that quarterback to Chargers. Yeah, well, and he'd be that rare coach that would win a college national championship and a Super Bowl championship. That's a what group is that? Jimmy Johnson, right, John? Pete Carroll. Uh, Pete Carroll. Uh, Barry Switzer, right? Barry, uh, yep. Yep, Barry Switzer. I'm trying to think. Is there anybody else on that list? Short list. Short list. And Jim Harbaugh's got a chance to get on it. Um, all right, uh, John. So that's where we're at with the coaching searches and Bobby Slowick. That's probably the biggest thing we're keeping an eye on here in the short term with the Texans. I guess some congratulations in order, John. It's not the actual, like, real recognized offensive and defensive rookie of the year awards, but it's the Pro Football Writers Association. Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year, um, but C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson Jr. both won the won their respective awards. Do you think, John, that this is a harbinger of things to come at the NFL Honor Ceremony in a couple of weeks? No, this is the writers, and the writers got a lot more sense, of course. But on the official AP ballot, the 50-man committee includes writers, broadcasters, and a lot of former NFL people. 
and uh, players, general managers, coaches. And the ones I've seen before, none had Anderson winning it. Mm -hmm. They all had either Jalen Carter, the corner, uh, Witherspoon from Seattle, or Kobe Turner, defensive tackle, with had 10 sacks as a rookie with the Rams, with Anderson finishing his eyes second or as low as third. But uh, I think the writers are smart enough to delve a little deeper into the sacks and look at the pressures and how well he played the run. So congratulations to Will Anderson Jr. Yeah, and to C.J. Stroud. Unlike that, unlike the Defensive Rookie of the Year award, there should be very little drama with any of the Offensive Rookie of the Year awards, right, John? Yeah, the drama is can anybody pressure Pukunakua for second because Stroud's going to run away with first. And remember – those awards are voted on before the regular season. I mean, before the playoffs. It's just regular season. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, I, Puka being runner-up may have as little drama as uh, uh, CJ finishing first. Like, I think it's going to be that. It's that obvious. It's those two as the top two. And within those two, it's that obvious that CJ is number one. So, um, what a great, great season for both of those guys. John, it's hard to believe as much hype as there was coming off of draft night back at the end of April, the the combination of C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson exceeded that level of hype this season. It's crazy to think. Goodness, nobody. You might could have seen it with Anderson because he was the best pass rusher in the draft, best end rusher. Some had him number one overall among linemen uh, because Jalen Carter slipped because of his off-the-field issues. And if he wins it, I – he did not have a big second half of the season, just like the, the Eagles' defense, which was built around its defensive line. And I looked at his stats. I did a column near the end of the season on SportsRadio610.com looking at Anderson compared to Carter. And Anderson, this was before Anderson got hurt. And I think getting hurt at the end kept him from getting another sack or two. And I think maybe if he loses the vote, It'll be because he had that injury at the end because he only started 13 games this season. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, all right, John, let's get to a little general news and notes, a staple on the Tuesday episode of the podcast. What do you got for the people this week to make them sound smarter at the water cooler? Okay, well, let's start with the players we've just been talking about. I was asked uh, by uh, In the Loop, Landry Glocker and John Lopez, what they, what player I was most looking forward to seeing next season other than C.J. Stroud. And I said, well, Anderson Jr. Mm-hmm. And I asked Will this question on Monday, 
He didn't give me a really good answer like I want. It's good enough. But the reason I'm so fired up about it, Will Anderson Jr. had seven sacks and 13 starts, played in 15 games. And that is a record for rookies. Uh, Mario Williams, 2006. Texan, a Texans record, for the team record for Yeah, for what did I say? You just said record for rookies. I, oh, I, I well, just want yeah, to clarify Texans. so people know you mean for the Texans. Yeah. So Mario Williams in 2006, first overall pick, started 16 games. He had four and a half sacks. So Anderson beat him by a long shot. And in his next two seasons, he had 14 and 12. Mm -hmm. So his career took off as a pass rusher because he had the experience from his rookie year. And I expect that to happen to Anderson. Now, in 2011, J.J. Watt, he started 16 games. He had five and a half sacks. The next two seasons, he had 20 and a half and 10 and a half. Mm -hmm. So Will Anderson Jr., I would expect his him just to explode and his career be on an upward trajectory, and he will become a perennial difference maker off the edge and a double-digit sack uh, uh, master. Yeah, it's un it's a shame he had the ankle injury at the end of the year, John. And I know he had that great game against um, uh, Indianapolis, where he, I think that was the game where he only played twelve snaps or whatever. It was it Tennessee or Indianapolis where he was? I think just, it was Indy. I'm yeah, sorry, he, I think it was Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay, yeah, where he only played played twelve snaps and he had six pressures and two sacks, and it was he did a great job. I think it was Tennessee. Um, you're right. Uh, it's a shame that that. Um, that he was banged up at the end of the year. Cause when he was healthy, it was starting to look a lot like kind of like a lot like JJ Watt where JJ, you could tell by the end of his season, like you look at his numbers for the year and you're like, Oh, okay, well that's a decent rookie year. But if you just watch the last six, seven, eight games of JJ Watts rookie year, similarly with Will Anderson, you can look at it and go, okay, the next full season, this guy has to your point, John, he's a double digit sack guy. Uh, the next time he's playing 17 games or 15 or whatever the full season is for him. For him next year, so um, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to to see uh, Will Anderson in his sophomore year for sure. And uh, Anderson was hurt, so he didn't get the best of him in the two playoff games. But uh, and Watt in his playoff loss at Baltimore after the 2011 season, he had two and a half sacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it all well started tackled. with that Cincinnati playoff victory yeah. when we saw greatness. Now, C.J. Stroud started the season with 191 consecutive passes without an interception, finished with 198, and primarily because he only threw five interceptions, Texans had the fewest uh, turnovers in the league. And a remarkable statistic, Devin Singletary never fumbled. Not that he didn't lose one. He never fumbled one time mm. as a rusher or receiver. The Texans lost only two fumbles other than players other than Stroud. They only lost six fumbles overall, and Stroud had four. The other two were Beck and Schultz. Schultz. I to remember me, the Schultz one. That is amazing. Yeah. That only two position players lost fumbles. Well, and that none of them are – I mean, I know Beck's a fullback, but, like, none of them are running backs. You know, they're like Damian Pierce – or because he was the you know he was the guy early in the season and the Devin single the Devin Singletary didn't fumble is incredible uh like at all like not lose a fumble like fumble like put the ball on the ground that's that's a cool stat John people talk about CJ I saw on ESPN saying he had the greatest season for a rookie quarterback well no he didn't um uh, he ended up with 4108 yards 23 touchdowns five interceptions 
he was 10 and 7 as a starter. In 2004, Ben Roethlisberger was 13 and 0. They had 17 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. They were predominantly running team, and he had 26, uh, 2,621 yards. But he helped them get the AFC Championship game, where they were upset at home by New England, and I covered it. And Andrew Luck in 2012, he went 11 and 5, threw for 4,374 yards and 23 touchdowns, same as Stroud, but he had 18 interceptions compared to Stroud's five. John, do you think if you plunk 2023 C.J. Stroud on the 2004 Steelers that he goes 13-0 and uh, with that team? Uh, sure, why not? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I, you're, great, I, you're saying it's a great running game. You're saying Ben had a Ben Roethlisberger had a better rookie year. Yeah, he won a bunch of games. He also had a bunch of Hall of Famers on that team with him. Like CJ is CJ's digging a team out of the muck whose best player was Damian Pierce a year ago. That's a fact. Yeah. Um, now the Texans in the playoffs had three non-offensive touchdowns, the two pick sixes by Nelson and Harris in the uh, 45-14 victory over the. Browns, and then a 67-yard punt return by Steven Sims. That is the most touchdowns in the postseason by non-offensive players since the Packers in 2010. And the Texans, and that team made the Super Bowl. The Texans got knocked out in the divisional round. <laughs> it's amazing how many more games the other teams have had, but they've not had three returns for touchdowns. Wow, and that's crazy. And, John, if you think about it, uh, just a few weeks before that, they had uh, Damian Pierce kickoff return for a touchdown against Cleveland the uh, in oh, week 16. Yeah, that's right. In week 16, yeah. Um, nice. What else? I got one more here that I thought okay. was very interesting just because I hadn't thought about it. Christian Harris in the loss at Baltimore, he, he rushed 13 times chasing Lamar Jackson, and he had six pressures, and all were unblocked which means D'Amico made great calls to free him up mm -hmm. or he did a great job of just avoiding any blockers, but he was unblocked and uh, six unblocked pressures. That is the most unblocked pressures in any game this season, playoffs or regular season, according to Next Gen Stats. Mm, okay, I like that, John. I Christian Harris has got to be on the list of Texans that fans have to feel really, really good about going into 2024. Like that he's, you know, if you're starting to put together like, okay, the Texans, we expect them, we hope that they're going to be better in 2024 than they were in 2023, that they're going to be one of the better teams, if not one of the best teams in, in football, like a top perennial, like power rankings, top quarter of the league, win their division, which means they should get more recognition for individual players as opposed to just Tunsil making the Pro Bowl every year. I think Christian Harris has got to be one of those guys probably that you look at who could make that that jump next year to being a uh to being, you know, a a a widely recognized player, especially because the Texans this year were playing big primetime games down the stretch. So people really got to know the Texans over the last three or four weeks. You know, they had the stage to themselves in their last three games, two playoff games and that Colts game in week 18. And Christian Harris played great in all of those games. Texans have playmakers at every level on defense. Will Anderson, Jr., Christian Harris, and Derek Stingley, Jr. on offense besides Stroud. Nico Collins has become a terrific receiver. You know, no new guy emerged in the offensive line. Tunsil's still the guy. But uh, the defense, when it comes to great young players, 
has more than the offense. Yep, it does right now for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, all right, John, um, you ready to do some uh, mailbag questions here? Absolutely. Okay, let's do it. H-O-U-Mailbag at gmail.com. That's the address. H-O-U-Mailbag at gmail.com. Let's start with Henry. Um, you and I, John, John, just got done talking about which players could elevate from being uh, productive players to Pro Bowl players. Henry kind of asking a I guess a similar question in a way, although he's kind of moving further down the down the board here. He says, which Texans who played poorly or were injured in 2023 most need a redemption season in 2024? If you could choose one to actually have a redemption season, who would it be? John, I've got a few names jotted down here, but I want to get your organic reaction off the top to that question. I'm going to pick one on each side of the ball, Jalen Petrie at secondary and safety. And on offense, I would say Damian Pierce. I don't know if Damian Pierce can figure out the zone scheme. Don't know if he'll be back. He handled it very well, being demoted for Devin Singletary. But you talk about a guy that was on a pace for 1,200 yards till he missed the last four games of his rookie year with an ankle injury, still led the team in rushing, looked really good when he did it. Uh, and then he just couldn't figure out the scheme. And, of course, Petrie, who made big plays as a rookie, and that kind of offset the tackles he missed. This year he missed a lot of tackles, and he did not make the big plays. So Jalen Petrie and Damian Pierce, two really promising rookies a year ago, had sophomore slumps. Yeah, I, I would. I, those are the first two names I jotted down also. Pete, and if I could choose one on either side of the ball, I would choose Petrie defensively. Um, I would choose on offense either Titus Howard or Kenyon Green, you know, and obviously both of them had their seasons derailed by by injuries to varying degrees. Titus got on the field, but he was a left guard almost the whole time. He hardly played any. Uh, did he play any right tackle? I'm trying to think, John. He was a left guard the entire time this year. Was he I not? can't remember. They brought in Fant and yeah. during training camp, and they did not have Charlie Heck, and they had Josh Jones. At one point, yeah. you, know, you remember when they started Austin Deculus game at left tackle? I do. He's talking about somebody else's team right now. Yeah, yeah, and well, and that that was actually one of the games they didn't give up any sacks. That might have been against the either the, <laughs> it was either, it was either the Jags or the Steelers that he started against. That was back when Tunsil was banged up. You know, and Tunsil didn't come back to that Atlanta game in Week Five this year. Um, it's wild, man. Yeah, I would I would say Kenyon Green or Titus would be my two. I would choose on the offensive side of the ball. John Mechie's another one who I think needs to show something during training camp this year. He might get squeezed. You know, he's, and I know, I know Mechie's operating under a different evaluation set based on his medical issues, but at some point you have to be a productive football player, you know? Um, so I think there's, there's plenty of candidates for sure. Um, all right, John, let's go. Aaron in California. 
cross off Henry's question there. Aaron in California, we always hear about it, but I've struggled understanding heart, culture, and commitment as descriptors for a team since it's not really something you quantify on a stat sheet. Never has it been more evident to me, though, than this past weekend. Now, keep in mind, John, this this mailbag question came in um, after the Cleveland win and before the Baltimore game. Um, Aaron says, it's never been more evident watching the Texans against the Browns versus watching the Eagles and the Steelers in their divisional round game. Those teams look lazy on defense, don't commit to tackles, they don't swarm to the ball. I'm watching the Texans in 2023, and it seems like even if a tackle's missed, there's three other guys waiting to pick them up. Am I making this up, or is this something a view of the Texans media elite, winking emoji, have noticed as well? To add to that, this the ever-elusive positive culture that seemingly never existed under O'Brien is now running through everyone's veins because of what D'Amico has done to this team. So I think what he's asking, John, is um, – is this this ethos that we're experiencing with D'Amico Ryan's? Is he, you know, does he is how he feels accurate? Is that what we're experiencing right now? Like this is the culture change we've been waiting for? Yeah, of course. Culture's attitude. That's all it is. Attitude. Another another word for attitude. Every coach wants it. It's obvious they had it on both sides of the ball. Special team. D'Amico said in his introductory news conference, he talked about swarm. We will swarm to the ball, and they did. Now, when they get beat by the Ravens in the second half, they got no business staying on the field with the Ravens. The Ravens best team in football this year, best record. And uh, so I don't hold that against them at all. And Ra- Ravens, other than Micah Fitzpatrick and Mark Andrews, they had everybody. All hands were on deck. And so I think it starts – attitude is about positivity, believing – you can overcome adversity, winning close games. They were great in close games, and they were seven. And, they were seven and three with Stroud in games decided by seven or fewer points, and he had twenty-one touchdowns and two interceptions. And when you win close games and you win plays with no time left or four seconds or six seconds left on the clock, and you beat a good team like the Bengals on the road, a lot of that is your attitude, your confidence that you can overcome any obstacle. And a lot of it's the people you have. Bob McNair told me one time he would not have a player on his team. It was another team that drafted a player, defensive back in third round, who flunked eight pot tests in college. And he said, I wouldn't have him on my team because those guys like that can't be you can't everything's fine when you win, yeah. but they'll let you down. They'll point fingers. They'll become cancers in the locker room. And those several players I knew when he as an owner didn't want, and they Rick Smith, the general manager, he didn't tell them not to take him, but Rick knew what kind of players he wanted. He said, You can win with first class people. You don't need you don't need bad guys on your team. And uh so uh they have a great attitude on this team. Yeah. On both sides of the ball and special teams, they're so confident that they can beat anything. And when they lose, they understand why. They didn't make excuses about the Ravens. They got steamrolled, and they want to get better, and they want to make sure it doesn't happen next season. Our guy Wale in Virginia, John, sends in an email. Apparently, the um, and he sent it again before the Ravens game, not after the Ravens game. But apparently that win over the Browns really con- finally converted his wife to become a Texan fan, so much so. <laughs> that they went to the Baltimore game. Uh, so I've replied to Wally to see if he can let me know if his wife is still a Texans fan after the one game, the one game in which she's officially a fan of the team, they lose 34 to 10. 
His question, after I give you that little anecdote, is no Texans player got named all pro honors. Does that match the eye test? Is Sauce Gardner that much better than Derek Stingley Jr.? This year's vote is over with. Which players are you projecting to be named all pro next season? Uh, John, I'm not surprised. that All pro is the tippy top. The, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's both conferences combined. It's the best of the best. And I don't know that the Texans had anybody that fit that bill necessarily um, this season, but I do expect them to get at least a lot more consideration for it next season. When you stack up all their players against competition, to other positions, Laramie Tunsil is the only one. Derek Stingley Jr. missed half the, almost half the season. You can't miss almost half the season and expect to win postseason honors. Yeah. Um, if you had to pick one next year, John, who could be all pro first, even first team or second team, because I don't think they had anybody even on second team, all pro the Texans, who would you pick? Will Anderson Jr. and Laramie Tunzel, Derek Stingley and CJ Stroud. Okay. Well, that's a good one. That's a, that's There's so much competition ones. at wide receiver. I'd like to say Nico Collins would take a step up, but even if he did, there's too many great receivers out there. You got named all AFC today, John, by the pro football writers. Did you see it's that? The writers are smarter than everybody else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to Joe Q. Joe Q says, I'd love to hear John's reflection on the 10-year Warren Moon period of the Oilers. They made the playoffs seven years in a row, but never reached the AFC championship. It's a better neighborhood than six losing seasons that came before it, but at some level, was it unsatisfying? And I think he asked this, John, with a kind of sort of an eye on the Texans. Like, okay, this is kind of the level the Texans got stuck at. Not seven straight years of making the postseason, but as an organization, they're kind of stuck at that divisional level right now. But I guess just specific, John, you covered that Oilers team. Was it unsatisfying at some level, or was the fact that they had sustained success coming off of really bad football, enough to keep people engaged and enough to make it fun to cover the football team. Playoffs are, are great when you make them and when you make them a few years in a row, but then your expectations are higher. That 92 team that choked the 35-3 to lead uh, midway through the third quarter at, at, uh, at Buffalo was hugely disappointing. The 1993 team, when Buddy Ryan came in, and they knocked 11 quarterbacks out of games in 16. They had a great defense. They had three Hall of Famers on offense, and Warren Moon, Bruce Matthews, and Mike Munchak, and they became the victim of Joe Montana's last miracle pass. Those teams, while they were really good and fun to cover, the fact that they never even got to a championship game was hugely disappointing. And I'll point out again, we in Houston have not had a team in a championship game since the 1979 Love You Blue Oilers. Yeah, that's been a while. That's uh, that's a lot. Seventies, John. That was uh, we uh, we had hostages being held in Iran. I think when uh, when the Oilers were last. Uh, 1979. The, yeah, man. Um, all right. Uh, this one's from Charles. If you were in D'Amico's shoes, what are some areas you would ask C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson to improve on? During the offseason. Who boy, watch now hard those guys work. Will Anderson Jr. already plays the run really well. One of the things he's going to have to work on is dealing with double teams. If Jonathan Grenard gets away and they don't have a formidable guy opposite of Will who can get the quarterback, he's going to get double teams all the time. So he's going to have to learn how to beat double teams. As far as Stroud, I guess the red zone. And a lot of that has to do with all the receivers he was missing. He had two reliable receivers this season. Of course, Nico Collins. The other one 
was Dalton Schultz. His contract, one year, nine million, is up. He might be gone. They have yeah. no tight end on the roster capable of replacing him. Brevin Jordan is an H back who's a good receiver, but he's not a blocker. But I don't think at this point he's ready to step up and and replace what Schultz brought to the offense. So uh, I think Stroud in the red zone. Yeah, like I the way I read that question, John, is like working on things in the off season, and like it, that's. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to work on the red zone in the offseason. You know what I mean? Like maybe at OTAs and things like I that. I can't think anything he needs to work on individually. I couldn't, either. I couldn't either with Stroud. Now, Will Anderson, I do think like he's still, he's not raw, but I could see where he might go to one of those, you know, you, you know, sometimes the, the Von Millers of the world get together and they work on some certain things with their hands, like edge rushing type stuff, you know? Um, you know, I think Will Ant Will Anderson maybe taking some uh, MMA hand to hand combat stuff. You know, to uh, beat some guys off the edge. I think there's, I, I do think there's there's probably some stuff for Will Anderson to work on individually, John. You know, as a as an edge rusher. Sure. Um, all right, two more. Chris in the ATL. <laughs> he says, "Well, wearing the same outfit this past Saturday that I've worn during the previous three game winning streak didn't help. Are you all superstitious or even a little stitious?" And if so, what is the silliest ritual you've kept in hopes to keep a winning streak going? John, are you at all superstitious when it comes to things? I do really stupid things. Uh, Carol tells me all the time, if I switch to a game like a Baylor game and they're up, and then I'm going to – she says, well, you need to you need to change back. You're going to jinx them. And uh, sure enough, if they lose like they did against Texas, it was my fault. Mm -hmm. Other thing I do is – this is weird. I, when I'm walking, and I have to walk a lot around the stadium, yeah. if I don't step on cracks, it'll help Texans win. I guess I stepped on a crack last week. You must have. Yeah, you must have. Or at least at halftime, maybe you went outside and stepped on a crack or something. Mine is, at least this season, it was I, um, I would go to Avalon Diner for breakfast before each game. I would get a veggie omelet replace the hash browns with fruit, white toast, and a side of bacon, regular, not crispy, coffee, and a glass of water. I then, on the way either to the stadium or to Sports Radio 610, if it was a road game, my playlist would be um, would be Kingdom, the walkout music for Cody Rhodes, Judas by Fozzie, lead singer Chris Jericho, and Boys of Fall by Kenny Chesney. If it was a home game, I would stop in and visit John Harris in the Hyundai studio to say hello, and then I would go up to the press box to leave my bag up there, but bring my laptop with me outside to do the pregame show. After the pregame show is over, I would immediately, immediately go back up to the press box and I would get a, a plate of food, including a salad and sit down. And I would always get a Coke zero. That was my ritual. And it worked for a while, John, until it didn't. Yeah. I guess I think I meet people out there just like that. It's amazing. Just like what John smart, like me. Just like us doing stupid things like that, it'll help them, and we can't deviate at all. But I think people do that all over the world. I like that I'm able to kind of write off the delicious breakfast at Avalon as some sort of thing that I have to do to get the Texans to win. Because <laughs> you know what I do like five other days a week? I eat breakfast at Avalon. <laughs> I love. I got an Avalon across I ten. I go to yep. all Avalon the time. Great. What's your go to breakfast? Uh, oatmeal with a banana and. Uh, and uh, raisins and dried toast, which I cut up and put in there. And then I love to do lunches with vegetables. And on Thursday, I like the chicken and dumplings. Okay. 
Well, chicken and dumplings is a little bit decadent. John, that breakfast sounds like the worst breakfast I've ever heard. No offense. Oatmeal with like bananas. Oatmeal? I mean, I like it fine, but if I'm going to Avalon, man, give me that, give, give me that omelet. You know what I mean? Like, give me something with some substance there. What, John, when you were much, much heavier, what did you get at Avalon Diner? Well, I I got uh, omelets. I got uh, hash browns. I chicken got, fried uh, steak. You got chicken fried steak, didn't you? I'm not big on their chicken fried steak. Okay. But uh, I, I always get vegetables there. And then I eat a big yeah. breakfast. I like their migas. I like mm-hmm. their hash with eggs on top of the hash. There you go. Bacon and all that stuff. Yeah, now you're talking. calories. Yeah, now you're talking. Now you're talking. And then you then you go for your walk and you burn it off. Just don't step on any cracks. That's what you got to do. <laughs> all right, last one, John. Jimmy and Magnolia. <laughs> this is actually a question that, um, that I used on the show today on Payne and Pendergast. How many teams in the NFL would trade their combination of head coach and quarterback. So you have to trade them as a package for the Texans combination of head coach and quarterback. Given experience, con- contractual situation too, you can see Jay's rookie contract. I guess a better way to ask it, John, is which teams would not? Yeah. Tra- Kansas right? City like, wouldn't. Baltimore wouldn't. That's it uh, to me. I think San Francisco is not going to trade Kyle Shanahan under any circumstances. Okay. And uh, let's see who else. Detroit right now, they, they kill people that tried to get Dan Campbell, but you take yep. CJ over Jared awesome. Goff, I believe. Yeah. Goff's about to get another big contract. And uh let's see, um, and let's see nobody in the north. Um Pittsburgh, Cleveland, maybe Cincinnati. Since he was a baby for me. Burrow yeah. and Taylor. So there's just a handful. Yeah. John, I I um my answer was Baltimore and Kansas City for sure. Cincinnati, maybe, but Joe Burrow's just had such a hard time staying healthy over the aggregate of his career. Um, and then my answer to San Francisco and Detroit was, let's ask the loser of the NFC title game on Monday what they feel about that. You know what I mean? Like, I, It's easy to say neither of them would right now. They're playing in the <laughs> NFC title game. And I would submit that if there were a team that San Francisco, one of the most perennially successful teams over the last few years, would swap Kyle Shanahan and their quarterback too, it would be for C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's. Well, they know D'Amico very well. They know D'Amico, exactly, exactly. But I guess the overall point with this, John, with that question, and it's a recurring theme on today's podcast, it is crazy that a year ago today we had no idea who even the head coach was going to be of the Houston Texans. The quarterback was Davis Mills. The face of the franchise was Damian Pierce. And here we are a year later, and we're saying that that every team in the NFL other than maybe two or three teams would trade their head coach and quarterback for the Texans head coach and quarterback. It's amazing. That's, That's why it's so exciting for the off season. Yeah. They prepare for next season with yep. those guys. John, what do you got going on on the website this week, my friend? I've got uh, uh, a column up today about Stroud and Anderson and being the foundational pieces of this team. And then I've got one Wednesday about they have to fix the running game. And then I'm going to have one Friday. I'm looking at free agency in the draft. Although I may change them around and write about Sloak and Draw Johnson need to stay on Wednesday. Okay. Well, we'll uh, John, we look forward to all of that on the website. Um, and we'll have an episode on Thursday this week where we look ahead to the AFC and NFC title games, whatever the latest news is with the Texans. And we'll do a bunch of for real or fugazis on Thursday. I enjoyed it as always, John. Can't wait. Can't wait. Um, if you want to get a mailbag question in for next week's mailbag, H O U mailbag 
at gmail.com. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, for getting the podcast out to all of you in a timely fashion. We appreciate his efforts always. And um, and if you could, click the subscribe button. If you haven't done that yet, click the subscribe button so you get the Utopia Football Podcast automatically sent to you to whatever device it is you listen to your podcasts on. So for James and John, I'm Sean. We are out of time. We will see all of you later this week for the next episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.